Excellent. Well, tonight we're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Very serious chapter. Very serious topic tonight. Let's pray. Lord, your word serves as protection. It serves as a warning. Lord, if we obey you, there's safety. Lord, if we make foolish decisions, there's destruction. Lord, help us to keep from making those decisions that destroy lives, Lord. The pathway of obedience, Lord, that is the way of happiness and safety and protection, health. Do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This chapter records King David's darkest hour, his greatest sin, his biggest fall. This is a shocking, scandalous story that we're about to read. And I got to tell you, that's one of the things I appreciate about the Bible. It doesn't paint this rosy, sanitized, romanticized picture of the human race. It tells the truth. It talks about the good things that God's people do, but it also talks about the bad things. David is a wonderful man of God. He's a man after God's own heart. Wonderful leader, wonderful guy. But in this chapter, he fails big time. So let's read through the story and may it serve as a warning to all of us, that we avoid doing likewise. Look at verse 1 of Second Samuel chapter 11. It says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David... Remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Guys, my brothers, David is not in his 20s here. He's not in his 30s. He's not in his 40s. 
he's in his 50s. It's thought that he's age 50 here. His army has gone out to battle. He has decided that he's going to stick around in Jerusalem. And so there he is, kind of meandering around. And he's walking up on the rooftop of his palace. And he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing. And he can't take his eyes off of her. And it's understood here that this was a special bath that she was taking. It was her monthly ceremonial cleansing. In those days, Jewish women, when they had their cycle, during their period, they were considered ceremonially unclean. After that, they would take a ceremonial cleansing bath. So she's very fertile here. David Caesar has to have her. Sends messengers to inquire about who she is. Sends messengers to bring her to his room in the palace. Has sexual relations with her. And then sends her home. So David has become an adulterer. This is the sin of adultery, and understand that he willfully, intentionally committed this sin. He committed adultery knowing that he was committing adultery. David knew the law. David knew the Ten Commandments. Seventh Commandment says you shall not commit adultery. Tenth Commandment says you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. He knew the truth. David also knew very well that he himself was a married man. Now, granted, multiple wives and several concubines, so his marriage was sort of a joke, but still a married man. And he knew also that Bathsheba was a married woman. The messengers come back. She's the wife of Uriah. David willfully became an adulterer. Adultery is a great sin. It's a terrible sin. It's a destructive sin. By the way, it's still a sin today. I realize that we live in a society that essentially presents adultery and sexual promiscuity as the norm. Everyone cheats. Everyone sleeps around. Everyone has affairs. All the disgusting things that we see happening in society. Open marriages. Polyamory. I realize that we live in a sexual cesspool as a society. But it's wrong. Adultery is sin. The Bible is very clear. Sex is to be engaged in by a married man and a woman for a lifetime. Amen? My brother and sister in Christ, be faithful to your spouse. Don't cheat. 
on your spouse. I heard about a Sunday school class of first graders. They were learning the Ten Commandments, and they got to this one, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And the teacher wondered if she'd get that question to explain this to them. Sure enough, a seven-year-old girl raised her hand. But her question was really odd. Her question was this. Teacher, what does commit mean? That's a good question. Men and women wouldn't be committing adultery if they knew what commit means. What commitment means. Well, David committed adultery, and look what happens in verse 5. And the woman conceived, (laughs) oops, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. David, I'm pregnant. The child is yours. I haven't been with anyone else since my ceremonial cleansing bath. There could be no question. See, look what happens. Look what happens when there's illicit sexual behavior. Unwanted pregnancies. Sexually transmitted disease. It opens up a whole can, doesn't it? The only safe sex is sex within the confines of a marriage relationship. Outside leads to trouble. So now King David will begin to do what a lot of people do when a situation like this arises. He'll begin to try to cover it up. Try to limit the damages. Try to make it go away. Look at verse 6. Then David sent to Joab, that's General Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So David sends for Uriah to return home from the battlefield to Jerusalem, the husband of the woman he's just had an affair with and impregnated. Uriah is brought into his quarters, and he sits down with him. David sits down. Hey, how's the war? How's General Joab doing? How are things going out there? And can you imagine how cool Uriah must have felt? King David called me. 
He's asking me military intelligence questions. Has no idea what's going on. After the discussion, David says, you know, go back into your house. Go wash your feet. I'm going to send some food down. Have a nice evening with your wife. What's he doing? Trying to cover it up. Get Uriah to sleep with his wife. That way the child that she's carrying will appear to be his. Right? Well, this man doesn't go down. Look how noble Uriah is. I cannot enjoy the hospitality of home. I can't enjoy a meal in my own home. I can't enjoy a night with my wife. I mean, my peers on the battlefield, they're out in the open fields tonight. I can't do that while they continue to sacrifice. That's so noble. So awesome. And David's thinking to himself, rats. This guy's too good. Right? Well, David won't give up. Verse 12, then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him what? Drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. David said, well, let's loosen the guy up. Let's get him drunk. David, a drunkard, encouraging drunkenness in someone else. This will loosen him up. Surely he'll go down into his house and have relations with his wife. Nope. Uriah still behaves very nobly. Do you see how David is plotting and scheming here? Do you see what he's doing? He's really putting some thought into this. He's really trying to cover things up. Now listen, if you ever find yourself in life doing that, plotting, scheming, figuring out how to lie about where you were or who you were talking to, Or what are you going to say if she says this or he says that? Big trouble. It says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Well... Look where this leads. Verse 14. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab, General Joab, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. Incredible. King David plotting murder. 
He writes this letter. It's a sealed letter. He has the nerve to give it to Uriah. Uriah is the bearer of this letter. The actual guy who's going to get killed as a result of it. And the message is very clear. Make sure the bearer of this letter is dead. And again, think of Uriah. He's probably thinking, how cool. The king trusts me with military intelligence. I'm carrying word to General Joab. It's sickening. Verse 16. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he signed Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Joab did not kill off Uriah in the way that David had suggested. That would have been too obvious. Remember, David said, get in the heat of the battle, put him on the front lines, then retreat. Joab actually put Uriah with a group of valiant soldiers and put them in a very vulnerable situation by going out towards that city they were besieging, getting really close to the walls. And as the story goes, as you see, they just got shot by archers from above. Joab was able to kill Uriah off and make it look a little more uh, realistic. Verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. Watch this. And charged the messenger saying, When you finish telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerobosheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. See, Joab knows when he sends word back of what they did, King David's going to be upset. Why did you go so close to the wall? Why did you send men in such a vulnerable position. There's stories in the past of a woman just throwing a stone off the wall and killing somebody down below. Why would you do such a stupid thing? And Joab says, when he gets all mad, just tell him Uriah's dead. That'll quench his rage. Verse 22, so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us on the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Notice other very high quality servants of David were killed. Verse 25, then David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. 
strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. So it is. Tell General Joab these things happen in war. You know, the sword devours one and the other. It's sort of random. Do you like King David in this chapter? (laughs) I don't like King David at all in this chapter. King David's a creep in this chapter. He's an adulterer. Which leads to cover-up. He's a drunkard, encouraging drunkenness. He's a manipulator. And he's a murderer. Verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Check that out. She mourned for him. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. He got away with it. Right? Did he get away with it? He sure thought he got away with it. He did not get away with it. People knew about this. This was a scandal. There were whispers in the palace. People knew about this. How about the messengers that went out and found information out about Bathsheba? How about the messengers that brought Bathsheba to King David in his palace? Whisper, whisper, whisper. How about General Joab, who's basically complicit? People knew. Word gets out on things like that. You don't keep stuff like that hidden. American pastor Rick Holland said, The consequences of immorality are inevitable and unavoidable. When it comes to sexual sin... It is payday someday. People talk. Husbands find out. Reporters snoop. Pregnancies happen. Diseases spread. Guilt intensifies. And of course, what does it say at the end of verse 27? But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord knew. David thought, man, I, I got it made. I, wow, I, I covered this all up pretty good. The Lord knew. The Lord knows. You can't hide anything from the Lord. This whole mess in this chapter started with sexual immorality. Sexual sin. And uh, I just want you to know tonight that that is a sin. In many ways, it's the sin 
that destroys many, many good men and women. Sexual immorality. As Christians, we had better control our sex drive. You've got to get a handle on that. And I just want to consider tonight from this story, how do we avoid something like this? How do we avoid sexual sin, sexual immorality in our lives? It's so important. I want you to consider a few things with me tonight. First, if you want to be protected, if you want to keep yourself pure and from committing those types of sin, recognize before you commit a sin like that, the consequences that it will have on your life. Please, my friend, understand that adultery will have devastating consequences upon your life. If you're here tonight... And you're in that very vulnerable state. Maybe you're even entertaining, toying with that idea. I want you to think right now. What's coming down the pipe? Should you open that door? Just a quick list. If you cheat on your spouse... If you have an adulterous affair, you will hurt deeply, deeply hurt people. Deeply. You will deeply wound your husband or your wife. You will break her heart. You will break his heart. You will also deeply wound and hurt your kids. Your children might find out about it even real young, and it will hurt them. Or maybe when they grow up, they'll find out what happened. It will wound them. You will hurt your friends. You will hurt your brothers and sisters in Christ. For a little bit of pleasure, you will deeply hurt other people. Number two, if you commit that sin, you will, you will experience loss. Great loss in your life. It's most likely that you will lose your marriage. You will lose your family. You'll lose many friends. If you're a Christian in the ministry, you'll lose your ministry. Most marriages can't recover from that, even Christian marriages. Now, there can be wonderful cases where there's reconciliation and God can do a healing. But listen, it will impact your family in some way. If you know the story here, it's incredible. David repents. David is restored from all of this. But the rest of his life is a wrecking ball to his family. 
His family life from this time to the day he dies is a mess because of this. Please, if you're here tonight and you're tempted in any way of doing that, I invite you to take a trip down memory lane, open some old photo albums, look at the day that you got married. Look at the birth of your children when they're young. You look at the pictures of you celebrating Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter with your family. And you recognize that if you go through with this, that's all gone. That all changes. There will be loss. There will most likely also be financial loss. Proverbs chapter 6 says, Keep from the evil woman from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with your, her eyelids. For by the means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. There will be financial loss. Number three, if you commit that sin, it will lead to more sin. It will open the door to more sin. Look what it did with David, right? Drunkenness, cover-up, manipulation. It led to death. Listen, if you, if you get involved in, in something like this, in an affair like this, murder can happen in your situation. People died in this story, right? Uriah died. Other servants of David died. If you remember the story, Bathsheba will give birth to their son. The son dies in infancy. By the way, how many sexual flings have resulted in the abortion of a baby over, over the years? Many. Death. Murder. Proverbs 6 says, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. Jealousy is a husband's fury. You cheat with somebody else's wife, and her husband finds out about it, watch out. And let me tell you, it happens all the time. All the time. When I was in high school, I had a very wonderful youth minister. Godly man. Single, never been married. Man, a few years later, I heard he'd, he'd gone, he rebelled, he got into drugs. He started having an affair with a married woman. Her husband found out about it. Followed him home, stopped him in mid-traffic, got out of the car. He got out of the car. He had a gun. Self-defense, shot that guy dead on the street. Self-defense, yeah, but I think he spent five to ten years in jail. I have a dear friend that I grew up with and uh, you know I lost touch with him after high school but in middle school 
My brother and I led this guy to Christ. We led him through the sinner's prayer. One night we were having a sleepover at our house. And this guy became a Christian and he grew up. He was a strong Christian man and had a wonderful Christian wife. And they went to church and they had kids, and beautiful kids. And found out that his wife was cheating on him. Snapped. Snapped, went nuts, got a gun. Found this guy at work, shot him dead. Then he drove to the uh, front stairs of his local church. Sat himself down and blew his brains out. This is not stuff to be messed with. Folks, I have buried people at this fellowship who have taken their lives as a result of an adulterous affair. You want to open that window? You want to open that door to your life? It can. Think clearly. This sin will result in emotional turmoil. As it says in Proverbs chapter 6, it wounds your own soul. David thinks he gets away, right? And if you know the story, for the next year or so, he thinks he's, you know, he's got it all. But he's dying inside. He's under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he is literally dying. He writes Psalm 38 during this time in his life. This is the words of David. For your arrows pierce me deeply, God, and your hand presses me down. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. My loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and severely broken, I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. You'll experience that. If you commit this sin, it will run your witness as a Christian. Later, when Nathan the prophet comes and rebukes David, he says to David, By this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. To blaspheme. If you blow it like this, you will give the enemy an occasion to blaspheme the living God. To mock the Christian faith. Say, ha ha, I always knew they were a bunch of hypocrites. And of course, if you commit this sin, there will be great spiritual damage to your life. The Lord will not be pleased. Your fellowship with God will be broken. The passion that you once had for him will be quenched. You'll lose the anointing of the Lord upon you. 
So how to keep yourself from this? Go through that list. Is that what you want? Another way to avoid this type of sin in your life, number two, I'll call it. Always be on guard. Always be on guard. Do never, never, ever, ever think that you've arrived at a place in life where you could never sin like that. You always be cautious. You never let your guard down. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30, 40 years. You can do this. I don't care if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Never let your guard down. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he, what? Fall. You be humble. Third, and I think this is very practical and very important. Stay busy. Stay occupied in life. Up in verse 1 of chapter 11 here, that's where it all went wrong. Everyone else goes out to war, but it says at the end of verse 1, David remained in Jerusalem. At the time when kings usually go out to war, King David has said, I'm going to stay home. He is not occupied. He's meandering around. He's wandering around. He's at a place of idleness. In his life. He's not busy. He's not doing what he should be doing. Idleness, man. Be very careful of that. Now, I'm not talking about never resting. We all need rest and relaxation. But we should never be idle. Idle is activity towards no purpose. It's a meandering. So sort of, you know, like water wandering around, roaming around on the rooftop. My brother, my sister, stay busy. Matthew Henry said, standing waters gather filth. It's true in your life. I've always loved what Samuel Johnson said on this. He said, if you are idle... Be not solitary. Have someone with you that you can trust. If you are solitary, be not idle. Be busy. Be occupied. Number four, deal with your weakness early. Deal with weaknesses in your life early. Listen, recognize where you're weak and deal with it. Did you know that this was a weakness in David's life for many, many years? David's weakness in life was women. Sexual immorality. As I mentioned earlier, multiple wives, multiple concubines. Bathsheba here will be wife number eight. Look at 
Last week we studied how he becomes king and he moves the capital city to Jerusalem. This incredible, 20 years prior to what we read here. At that time it says he had several wives and concubines. This is a weakness that he had and he never dealt with. My brother, my sister in Christ, you need to come to grips with the weakness you have and you need to deal with it sooner than later. Do not let it fester. Do not let it grow. For some of you tonight, that might be sexual immorality. For others, it could be drunkenness. It could be drugs. It could be greed for money. Those things will tear you up as well. Another very important subject, and I would say especially for guys, but it also applies for women. Protect your eyes. Protect your eyes. Watch what you look at. Be careful. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now Jesus isn't speaking of the first look. We can't help but notice beautiful people, right? If you see a good-looking guy walk by the first look, you can't help it. If you see a beautiful woman walking by the first look, you can't help that. It's the second look. It's the double take right it's the gawking it's the staring it's the fantasizing you can help that you can help that look you can turn away from that As one person put it, you can't help birds flying over your head. But you don't have to let them make a nest in your hair. Right? Turn away. Make a covenant with your eyes. Discipline yourself. You know, it's interesting. I, I, had a, I had a good friend when I was much younger in college, good Christian guy, and, and he had an interesting strategy whenever he saw a beautiful woman walk by. You can't help but notice the first look. But he always, when he was tempted to start gazing more, he'd pray for her. He decided, Lord, and he looked, pray, total stranger, I pray for that woman. I pray that you bless her this day. I pray that she would know you and come to know you and get closer. That's a great strategy. Certainly you want to protect your eyes from sexual images having nothing to do with pornography. Being so careful about the movies you watch, the TV shows you watch, the books you read, the websites that you visit. You have a choice to make. Watch the eyes.
Number six, those of you who are married, safeguard your marriage. Safeguard your marriage. Make sure that you put um, controls in place that encourage your trust of one another. Um, Every computer in your house should be right out in the open so that everyone can see at any time. You and your spouse should have equal access to each cell phone. If you have a password for anything, your wife better know it. And vice versa. And that would include all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever they invent tomorrow. Kim and I have complete open access to each other's stuff. I can grab her phone at any time. I know her password. I can watch the texts. I can see her Facebook or Instagram. She has open access to my cell phone and my iPad and my computer at any time. We hide nothing. Don't you hide anything from your spouse. Those of you who are married, pour into your marriage. Date your mate. Romance your wife. Romance your husband. You keep that strong. Be intimate regularly. Enjoy that within the context of marriage. It's not dirty. God gave that to us. To be enjoyed within the context of marriage. And then certainly, the most important, oh, brother and sister in Christ, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to the Lord. Keep growing in your walk with Jesus Christ. You put on that armor, that spiritual armor. That time of prayer, that time of reading the word. It's too dangerous. I warn you tonight. Keep yourself from this sin. Make the right choices. Now, some of you might think, well, it's a common sin. Everybody does it. I mean, look, King David did it. Joseph didn't. Neither did Daniel. And there are a whole lot of godly examples throughout church history, including in this generation, of godly men and women who have protected their sexuality. You can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to close by also saying this. 
It's so important that we stay strong and we stay guarded in this. We live in a society where there's been lots of sexual sin. Lots of mistakes have been made. And I do want to close tonight because I'm certain that there's all kinds of sexual immorality and mistakes that have been made by people right here in this room. In your past or whatever. I do want to close tonight by saying the blood of Jesus Christ does wash away all sin. Now, if you commit sin like that, there will be consequences. But you can be forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin. And you can start anew. God can repair messes. It's not easy, but he can do it. He can do miracles. Maybe you sit here tonight guilty. Admit that to the Lord tonight. Ask him to wash your sin away. Become brand new. Begin again. And do things the right way. Father, help us. Father, give us strength. Protect us. Lord, for any here tonight or, or listening through the web or on a radio program someday, Father, for those who are right in the midst of this sin, Call them out. Call them out right now. Lord, no more cover-ups, but confession. If that's you tonight, you, you come back to the Lord tonight. You, Lord, forgive me. I want to change now. Right now, if you turn to the Lord right now, there can be a change. The longer you wait, though, the worse it gets. So I invite you tonight. You come, come to him tonight. He will receive you back. Lord, I want to pray for every uh, marriage represented here tonight that it would be safeguarded. Lord, that our marriages would be um, protected, healthy, strong, beautiful. Lord, as we do things your way. Lord, renew trust tonight among husband and wife. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who does not know you. You may be here this 
evening and you, you've never given your life to Christ. Jesus died on the cross for sins, for all sins, the worst of sins. And he can wash away all your sins tonight by his shed blood. He paid the price for your sin. You put your faith and trust in him. He'll wash away all your sin and change you. You'll become born again. You could start brand new. If that's you tonight, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. You pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Wash away all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. Remove the shame. Remove the guilt. Give me a brand new start. Jesus name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to have leaders up here in the front to pray with you. If you need prayer tonight, if if you uh if you need to talk to somebody about some of these things tonight, we're available to, to you. If you prayed to receive Christ, we're going to be available for you up here at the front. Um so let's all stand together. We'll close with this song.